So we're in the middle of this series called Jesus the Game Changer, all about how the figure of Jesus has changed history and many of the values we have in our society, many of the other things that we hold dear in our nation are founded on some of the things that Jesus modeled and Jesus taught and then his church has falteringly tried to live out through history. And as we get into this, I just wanted to remind us why this series is important and why we're doing the series. I don't know if you know, a guy called Julian Barnes uh, once said, as an atheist, he wrote, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. It's a brilliant quote, in which he gives a little snapshot to our society that many people are kind of distancing themselves from institutional religion, distancing themselves from a Christian framework, and yet, and yet, there's this haunting, aching desire for more than this society is offering. In our increasingly secular world, we want to distance ourselves from our Christian heritage. And some of that you can really understand. Some of the ways in which the, close, the church has been closely linked with the state has produced questionable results. And yet there is a growing sense of concern amongst many, not just Christians, uh, growing sense of concern that the further we distance ourselves from the Christian framework we're in, that we came from, the more we may be losing far more than we ever imagined. It's like somebody having a tattoo. You know, I love Jane. The only problem is they're no longer with Jane. And yet they can't get rid of the tattoo and try, though they might. Eventually they take deep surgery to get rid of it, but of course they lose a bit more than just the tattoo. They lose something of who they are. The same is true for us as a society. Foundations, if we try and think we can distance ourselves from Jesus, we may lose far more than we ever imagine. Many of the values that we hold as sacrosanct in our society actually have their roots in the person, life, death, resurrection, and teaching of Jesus. And today, we're going to be focusing on an interesting one. We're going to be focusing on the subject of democracy. Democracy. And to kind of summarize this, what we're going to do, I'm going to give out some money this morning. hope that's all right. So where Mark's going to come, I'm going to give you all some money, which is yours to take home. Free money. Come to church, get free money. Uh, do you want to take from the basket one of these that come around to you? Go for it. It is genuine sterling. Take it home. But before you do it, hold it in your hands a minute. So just pass the baskets on. Quickly take one if you can. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Don't think about it. Don't try and choose the shiny ones. Just choose any single one as we each give you a penny. Woo! Exciting. And as you're getting these through, here's the question. On the coin, you'll see those initials. Have a look at it. And when you've got yours, chat with the person next to you and ask, what do those initials mean? Anyone got any idea? So just as you get your coin, chat with the person next to you. If you don't know them, say hi. And then what do those letters on the back of those one penny coins mean? Some of you might like to look at the screen because you can't see the coin, I get that. I would ask for any input, but that would probably separate those who had a kind of classical education and those that didn't. So here is what those letters stand for. Dei gratia regina fidei defensor, which in English means 
Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, queen and defender of the faith. With the same person that you've just been talking to then, ask yourselves, why is that really important, do you think, that that's on our money? So just with the person next to you, why do you think that might be significant, that that is on our sterling, that we use every day throughout our life? Okay, carry those conversations on. They might go on an interesting journey. Carry them on afterwards over a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. I think what's so interesting about this is that right at the very center of our nation and our existence and how we do business is a recognition that there is a higher power, a higher authority who might have something to say about the way in which we govern ourselves. Yes, we have a monarchy, but even that queen or the king, whatever, has a higher authority even than them. We have a political system, a democratic parliament that sits alongside that monarchy that begins every day, still right now, with a prayer that they've been doing for 500 years. This is the prayer they currently use. Lord, the God of righteousness and truth, grant to our Queen and her government, to members of Parliament and all in positions of responsibility, the guidance of your spirit. May they never lead the nation wrongly through love of power, desire to please, or unworthy ideals, but laying aside all private interests and prejudices, keep in mind their responsibility to seek to improve the condition of all mankind. So may your kingdom come and your name be hallowed. Amen. Every day, that prayer is prayed at the beginning of our government sessions. So, like it or not, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, whether this church thing is new for you, at the very center of our nation, at the very center of the way we do business, and the very center of the way we govern ourselves, is a Christian framework. It's no surprise that Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament, and all that sits right next door to Westminster Abbey. The two things right at the center of who we are of a nation. Now, as we get into this, it is worth just pausing for a moment to say that this relationship between church and state has had some very dodgy consequences down through history. Whatever your political persuasion this morning, or none, there have been times in which the alliance between the church and the government and the monarchy has been destructive and coercive, forcing people to do things that they don't agree with. And I would argue, if you want to know, if you don't, I'm still going to tell you, I would argue that whenever Christianity becomes in any way coercive, it loses something of the very real power of the gospel. The moment the church is able to force in any way people to act in certain ways, we lose something in the very framework of Christianity. But notwithstanding all of that challenge, I say all that so that somebody doesn't come up to me afterwards and say, what about this? Notwithstanding all that, the very life that Jesus modeled, the very teaching that Jesus gave, and the very sacrifice and death and resurrection that he did for us 
model something of incredible freedom that is at the very foundations of our democracy. And so it may be that you're here this morning, you're not sure about who Jesus is, but the values of Jesus are at the heart of the way we operate as a country. You cannot distance yourself from that. So it's at least investigating who is this Jesus? Because he's a pretty big deal for the way you live your life, whether you like it or not. So let's jump in. I'm going to ask two very simple questions this morning. The first is the one that some of you will be thinking. It might be interesting this or not, depending on who you are. But why is this important to be thinking about on a Sunday morning in church? I come to church to distance myself from politics. Why do we need to think about our democracy on a Sunday morning? That's the first question. And then the second question is, how then does Jesus' example and teaching affects our understanding of democracy and the way we engage with our political system. All right? So first question is this. It might be interesting, Tim, or not, but why is it important to think about democracy on a Sunday morning? Because after all, some of us, if we're honest, come to church on a Sunday morning for a little bit of light, a little bit of hope. We may watch Newsnight and be completely flummoxed by the politicians that we see around us. We may want to separate ourselves from that a little bit so that we can just have a little bit of hope. Or some of us, if we're honest, our lives are such a battle that we want to just for at least 30 minutes breathe. Well, I want to suggest the reason that it's important to think about democracy and the way that Jesus has impacted that. Uh, With a quote, Dorothy Sayers famously said, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of life? One of the criticisms sometimes leveled at our expression of Christianity in churches like us is that it's all about me and Jesus. And as long as I feel nice about Jesus, all's well with the world. The author, Ian Banks, some of you will know, famous, famous British author, said the reason he struggled with Christianity, and I quote was, the idea that at all costs, no matter what, it always has to be about you. Well, I think not. So it isn't just about me and how I feel about Jesus. Authentic biblical faith has much to say about the wider issues of society, including some of our foundations as a culture and a nation. So therefore, it's important that we think about it sometimes. And secondly, the reason it's important is that because Christianity, the gospel, is fundamentally public, not private. So if we're Christians, we might have a private faith in which we pray to God, we read our Bible, we go to small group or whatever it might be. We do business with God ourselves and we pour out our hearts to him privately. But fundamentally, Christian living is public. We live in a culture, don't we, in which the default position, it's fine for you to believe that, but just don't impact me with it. It's fine for you to have your belief system, but just don't bring it into the public sphere. Well, I want to suggest, uh, A, that's silly. It informs who we are, and so you can't kind of leave that bit of us at the back door. Everybody, regardless of what we believe, that's true. But also it's forgetting that much of our foundations are built on this faith. And so therefore to say don't bring it into the public sphere is saying something very silly. It's who we are, as we'll see in a moment. 
But thirdly, the reason it's important is that, like it or not, politics affects yours and my life every day, whether we like it or not. How we should vote in an election. How do we do that when all the sometimes major candidates seem such a poor choice? And my feeling really goes out to my American friends with that at the moment. How are we supposed, if we say we follow Jesus, to engage with all of that? How do we approach any election as Christians? So it is important to think about whether or not it makes us feel, woohoo, democracy, yeah, when we leave this morning. My hope is that what we're looking at this morning might be just a little nugget in our brain that at some point in the future we might think, oh yeah, that's useful. So secondly, and for the rest of our time then, so how does Jesus affect our understanding of democracy and politics? Because Jesus never spoke of democracy, per se. But who he is and what he did has a radical impact, summarized by those verses that were read to us from Philippians chapter 2. Although these aren't Jesus speaking, they are the earliest Christians' reflection on Jesus' life. Summed up, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, and so we're going to understand what Jesus' attitude was. Summed up by this phrase, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. This applies to democracy. Radically. If democracy is about the rule and the voice of the demos, the people, how we treat other people has a massive voice into our democracy, as we'll see. Summarized by three words, humility, service, Lord. Humility, service, Lord. First one, Jesus acted with profound humility towards other people. I don't know if you've heard the joke uh, that was doing the rounds uh, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, God summoned the leaders of America, China, and Britain before him. He told them that the world would soon end and they must prepare their people. So Barack Obama goes on television and says, My fellow Americans, I have good news and bad news. We were right about the existence of God, but the world's about to end. The Chinese premier, uh, Xi Jinping, tells the Chinese people, I have bad news and worse news. Bad news is we were wrong about the existence of God and the world is about to end. Finally, David Cameron goes on the air. I've got great news, he says. God thinks I'm one of the three most important people in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And the truth is, in our culture, we associate politics with a self-centeredness. Uh, Just listen to the way our newspapers talk of politicians when they do U-turns or when they make public statements about this and then that or when they go and form the vanguard of one particular political direction and then they release an article they were due to send a completely opposite viewpoint. Whatever it may be, we tend to associate a self-centeredness with our political viewpoint, whatever your politics. But listen to Jesus' words. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This framework of radically looking first at the needs of others before yourself is the very foundation of democracy. So how do I read the news? If I got my way, would our society be better off? Jesus' life modeled something of valuing others above himself. A humility. And of course, that led him ultimately to die for those others, including you and me. He humbled himself. The very foundations of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, male and female made in the image of God. Everybody has an inherent value and dignity and therefore everybody can have equal input into the way we govern ourselves. That's why we have our political and our legal system. Recognizing that we don't know it all and so therefore it's good to get other people's perspective on it. Humility. We can be humble because Jesus was first humble for us. He died for us, showing just how needy we really are, but we ain't all that. We needed a saviour, and therefore we can humbly act towards others. So humility undergirds our democracy. We don't know it all, we haven't got it all together, and therefore we're in this together. And that changes how we read the news, how we disagree with the people from political backgrounds that we differ from. A humility of valuing others above myself. Wow. So humility undergirds our view of democracy. Second word, though, is the word service. What does it actually look like to value others above yourself? Well, Jesus modeled it on those words on the screen. Not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Service. The French philosopher Alexander de Tocqueville said that for democracy to work, it had to have enough people willing to do the right thing when nobody's watching. Service on behalf of others. Being willing to stoop as Jesus did and wash the feet of even those that were abusing and hurting them, him. The one that was going to betray him. Service. Self-sacrifice on behalf of others. So here's a question for us. Would I be willing to vote for something that I knew would make me worse off but benefited more people? Am I willing to self-sacrifice on behalf of our nation? We live, don't we, in a society in which you could sum up that many of our politicians are seen to be in it for their own career. Whether that's true or not is a whole different question, but that's certainly the way it's portrayed. What does it mean for us as a church to serve our city? 
What does it mean for you in your workplace to be a servant? Being willing to stoop to self-sacrifice on behalf of others. Is the way our government runs just to benefit me? Or am I here for others too? Do I focus on my rights rather than emphasizing my role as well? So we're humble because we need a savior and because God Almighty himself stepped in and rescued us by Jesus' death and resurrection. We're humble and also therefore that leads to serving others because we realize we needed a rescuer. How can we not then serve those around us? So humility, servantness, service forms our democracy. And then the third word, and this is the final one, is the word Lord. There's something else quite radical in this understanding of democracy. And did you see that when the reading was read, verses 9 to 11? When Jesus had died and rose again, shattering our greatest enemy, sin and death, so that we might live forever with God. What an amazing opportunity, what an amazing privilege. And if you're here, you're not sure about it, can I encourage you? There is life available for you today. But after that, verse 9, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this came home to me a, a, a few years ago. I was doing some work in Western Africa. And I was working with some street kids there. It was great. And they taught me a little rap that they had learned. I'm not going to do the rap. It wouldn't be helpful for you. (laughs) But here were the words, Jesus is the president, I the resident. You can practice it in the bathroom if you want when you're at home. But it sums up Christians perfectly. Jesus is the president. I'm just the resident. And so therefore I live for him first and foremost before any powers that are instituted by him by the grace of God, queen and defender of our faith. Jesus is the president. If we are humble, if we're called to serve, there's a final responsibility of the church and that is to recognize the limitations of our democracy. That democracy is not salvation. Bringing democracy to countries that don't have it will not save them. It might be helpful. But ultimately, Jesus is Lord, not the president or the prime minister or the king or the queen or whatever. So therefore, whichever party gets into government, whether we are in or out of the EU and whatever that means, whether it is President Clinton or President Trump, Jesus is Lord, and every tongue will acknowledge one day that Jesus is Lord. Our primary allegiance is higher even than the highest authority in our land. And that radically changes how we view what goes on in our nation. How we act with humility, how we serve, because we do it on behalf of his priorities not the priorities of any government of any given day. And it's summed up by the story and example of this man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know his story, an amazing figure, 
complex, not straightforward. But he was a Christian leader and academic in Germany in the 1930s. In which he had to ask big questions about the rise of Hitler and what that meant for him as a Christian and what he was going to do about it. And so therefore he worked really hard to campaign to try and make sure that Hitler didn't get power and therefore it made it try and limit his power, even contacting others in other nations, including bishops in this country and so on. And it led to some complex decisions for him. The tricky thing meant that he was actually involved in plots to kill Hitler, do with that whatever. <laughs> but the important thing for our sake this morning is that Bonhoeffer saw a terrible situation and knew that as a follower of Jesus, his primary allegiance was higher than his nation, and therefore he had to act. Regardless of whether he agreed with his actions, he knew that something needed to take place because he was a follower of Jesus. If Jesus was Lord, it's not okay, therefore I need to act. He couldn't just mutter from the sidelines whilst watching Newsnight at half past ten. And eventually that led to him being sentenced to death of an academic up in St. Andrews University who was an expert on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And reflecting on what the doctor who was involved in Bonhoeffer's death observed at that point of death and what impact it might have for us today.